Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We are going to start with our scripture reading from Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judah, of Judea. So it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. From my years of experience walking this earth, there seems to be two different kinds of people in life. Those who absolutely love listening to Christmas music and those who don't. My wife is someone that you will catch listening to Christmas music in July. Um, And I think most of us would enjoy coming together on Sundays in December or the Christmas Eve service like this past Friday and enjoy singing together about the coming of Jesus. But there's some people that come November 12th, when you walk in a grocery store and hear the song, Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time, you start to groan inside a little bit. But we all have things in life that we care about, that we get really excited about, that we make sacrifices for. For us, that can be our, our families, our friends, Um, sports, singing, reading. But there's other things that we just don't care as much about. I can't say that I get very excited about dancing. I wouldn't often make sacrifices so that I could dance. But this morning, the day after Christmas, we're going to look at one of the well-known and cherished Christmas stories, the story of the wise men that we just read, found in Matthew chapter 2. And in this passage, in this story, we're going to highlight two groups of people and see how starkly different they are. We're going to see how one of those groups of people cares, gets excited, makes sacrifices 
in order to see Jesus, but also how the other group are indifferent towards him. Well, there are many things that we care about, get excited about, make sacrifices for. It can be a temptation for us to become indifferent towards Jesus. That with the, the grind of, of everyday life, with its busyness, with its troubles, with its distractions, that we can lose sight of our, our devotion and our worship excitement of, of Jesus. And the day, on the day after Christmas, after the excitement of all the singing, although some of us might still have some family get-togethers, but after all the, the family Christmas get-togethers, we'll be encouraged from our passage to fight indifference towards Christ and pursue him with joy and praise. Look with me again to Matthew 2, verses 1 to 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And it's appropriate that on the day after Christmas, we are looking at a Christmas story that takes place not on the night that Jesus was born, but months and potentially even over a year afterwards. That means the wise men would not have been there the night that, that Jesus was born with the shepherds coming to see him. That does not mean you need to go home and throw out your nativity scene, that's okay. But we're introduced to our main characters, the wise men from the east. And the wise men are very fascinating characters, and they're a part of what makes this aspect of the Christmas story so special. Now, there's a few things we don't know about them. We don't know exactly how many of them there were. I mean, in all the movies, nativity sets, we always see three, and many people come to believe that because of the amount of gifts that were given to Jesus, but we don't know for sure how many there were. We also don't know their names. I mean, there's been traditions passed down that have given names to these three wise men, but we don't know for sure what their names were. But there's several things we do know. We, um, we're told in our passage that they are from the east. And many people believe that they would have been from either Babylon or Persia. But these wise men were not magic street performers. They were men of prominence, of very high standing. In a great article about the wise men, uh, Kara Ray argues that these wise men were from a, a pagan priestly tribe from the, the Medes and Persians. And not only did they study astronomy and astrology, but they also had significant political power and were kingmakers. She says that no Persian king was legitimate unless he had been crowned by a wise man. So here we have these wise men from the east who studied the stars. They had significant prominence, political power. But these kingmakers now had a new mission to seek out the king of the Jews. And what summarizes these wise men was that they were not indifferent. They were not indifferent towards this king of the Jews. What starts it all is that they see this star appear. And as astronomers, astrologers, seeing this new star appear definitely drew their attention. But going beyond just professional intellectual curiosity, they knew this star was significant 
and they needed to know why. There's a, a children's story called The Christmas Quest, actually written by Lisa Land's sister-in-law, and it was featured in an article on the Gospel Coalition. It's a story about the, the wise men going on this Christmas quest to find Jesus. And in the story, after the wise men see the star, the author writes, unwrap the maps, and roll the scrolls, let's search for cues and clues. Look here, the star is announcing there's a new king of the Jews. So it kind of gives us the picture. It makes us think of dark, musty rooms with lanterns lighting up the room and scrolls everywhere. The wise men searching for any indication of the significance of this star. Commentators think that they may have come across Numbers 24-17, which was a prophecy given by Balaam um, referencing a star that will come from Jacob. And it says this in Numbers 24-17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And whether they came across this passage or not, somehow they, they discovered and found out the fact that this star was extremely significant and pointed them to the king of the Jews. So more than just intellectual curiosity, they understood that this star pointed them to someone extremely significant, and they had to find out what it meant, and they did. But they didn't just work hard to discover what it meant, and then that was it. They were done. They didn't just satisfy their intellectual curiosity and then be like, okay, I'm, I can rest now. I know, I know what the star means. I'm good. No, that wasn't enough for them. They needed to go see this king. They needed to go worship him. They understood the significance of the star and that led them to want to go see this king, go before him and worship him. This was too radically important to stay home and do nothing. And on top of discovering, searching out, discovering the significance of this star, They acted and they traveled a long way. These people with with prominent, high political standing, and yet they they left their place of prominence to travel for months to this foreign country, not exactly knowing where. They risked the the dangers that come with such a, a journey, the cost, the inconvenience. They had expensive gifts ready to give to this king of the Jews. They weren't going to go empty-handed. And from our passage, we see that in verse 2, that they were looking for the one who had been born king of the Jews. They understood that this was a, a new king who had been born. And these men of prominence were willing to travel, bow down before this child. All that being said, the wise men were not indifferent towards Jesus. They were not indifferent. By their words, their actions, their hearts, they were excited to see this king. They understood the significance of this king and that led to their their hearts just being excited, overjoyed in order to go worship him. It led to action. But there's another group of people in our passage 
that are in stark contrast to these wise men. While these wise men were not indifferent towards Jesus, we're going to see another group of people that were. Now, the wise men had traveled a long way. They had come to, had arrived in Jerusalem, thinking that this royal city would, would house the king of the Jews and they, that they were searching for. And they started to ask around. And then we see this in verses 3 and 4 of our passage in Matthew 2. When Herod the king heard this, heard that the wise men were searching for the king of the Jews, this new king of the Jews, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod was horrified at the coming of the wise men. This was not the news that he wanted to hear. Herod the Great was known for being extremely jealous, suspicious, constantly worried that someone might be after his throne. He had a history of violence towards even a a hint of, of someone coming after his throne. So for someone who had a history of violence and even the, the thought of someone, of a threat to his throne, taking his throne away from him, to see these prominent wise men, these kingmakers, coming to worship this new king of the Jews, he was definitely troubled. And while Herod was evil, he was also smart. He knew that the coming of the wise men was not Nothing. He understood the gravity of the situation. He did not think that it was a sham. He knew just who to gather together in order to figure out exactly where this new king was going to be born. And that's where we got introduced to our second group of people, the chief priests and the scribes. We are not unfamiliar with the chief priests and the scribes. Throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Acts, we see many encounters of Jesus and the apostles with them. The chief priests were the the temple hierarchy. They were the line of chief priests instituted by God, but had become religious politicians who were corrupt and far from God. The scribes were what we know as, as Pharisees, They were professionals in knowing the law of the Old Testament and the traditions that came alongside the law. When Herod gathers them together, their task was to figure out, according to God's word, where this king, this Messiah, was to be born. And what is so interesting to us is that the chief priests and the scribes knew exactly where this king, this Messiah, this Savior, was to be born. They knew their Old Testament so well. They told Herod that this king was to be born in Bethlehem. Look at verses 5 and 6. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So this verse that they were referring to, they were quoting from the Old Testament, was Micah 5.2. Although when Matthew in our passage is quoting it, he changes up a few words. But this is so significant because they knew their Old Testament so well, they were able to quote this passage from Micah to Herod. 
And this wasn't any old verse that they were quoting. They were talking about the coming of the king, the coming of the Messiah, the ruler that the Jewish people had been waiting for. This verse, this prophecy was talking about the coming of the Messiah. The Jewish people had been waiting 400 years to hear from God. They had been longing, anticipating the coming of the ruler who would be born in Bethlehem, who would shepherd the people of Israel. They had an expectation for a king from the line of David who would reign over Israel in justice and righteousness forever. They would have known verses like Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, that the government would be on his shoulders, that he would be the prince of peace, will reign on the throne of David with righteousness. And now they hear of these wise men, these prominent kingmakers who had been following a star that they understood to be a fulfillment of scripture. And the chief priests and scribes also knew of this verse from Numbers and the words spoken by Balaam. They see how these men were so, so convinced of the significance of this star. They saw how serious Herod took this threat that he was willing to call them together and ask for their advice. But what do these chief priests and scribes do? They do nothing. They don't hop on a camel and rush to join the wise men in worshiping this king. They don't gather together presents. They don't get excited. They don't have any joy at this news. They are indifferent. In fact, we don't really hear from them again until 30 years later when we read about their many interactions with Jesus as an adult. And what's interesting, what we see from this example of the chief priests and scribes is that their knowledge of scripture didn't lead to any action. It didn't lead to any change of heart. It didn't lead to any joy, any worship. Platt, in his commentary on on the book of Matthew, says this, the spiritual state of the priests and the scribes is a sobering reminder that mere knowledge of, of the scripture is not enough. You can know the text well and yet still miss the point. That was true for the chief priests and scribes. They had incredible knowledge of the scripture, knew it probably better than any of us ever could. They'd spent their lives studying it, memorizing it. They also knew the context. They knew the the historical context and understood that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem according to Scripture. Yet for them, that was not enough. Their spiritual state was at the point where they knew the text, but it hadn't reached their hearts. I knew a, a beloved pastor in Cambridge named Phil Stairs, who passed away a couple years ago. I, when I interned at Temple Baptist Church in Cambridge, he was an associate pastor there. And something he often said was this, the distance between life and death is nine inches. The distance between life and death is nine inches. The distance between our head and our heart These chief priests and scribes knew about God. They knew his word. They knew about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, the King. And yet it had never reached their heart. 
never led to humility, never led to trust in this king. And even though he had ended up, ended walking in front of them, before them, it never led to worship, never led to any meaningful action of obedience. And that's the same, that can be the same for us. The distance between life and death is nine inches. If knowledge of God, knowledge of his word, stays in our head, but never results in in humbly seeking Jesus and trusting in him for salvation, never leads to our our hearts being transformed, then that's a matter of, of life and death. It's a dangerous thing for us to hear God's word, to know what God's word says, and yet fail to respond to it. And as a youth pastor over the years, that's something that I have been um, just praying against, that, that teens who grow up in the church and, and know God's word, hear God's word, um, that they wouldn't grow up knowing God's word and yet remaining indifferent towards Jesus. And that could be a danger that we think because we know a lot about God's word, uh, maybe even do many good things, that we're good, that we can have good standing before God, and yet our hearts remain cold towards Jesus. That knowledge of God's word doesn't lead to humbly trusting in Jesus for salvation and and living our lives in worship and obedience of him. But I think that we can all agree that even in Christ, for those who have been saved by Jesus, who have trusted in Jesus for salvation and are now one with him, that this can still be a struggle for us that we can be tempted with indifference towards Jesus in our walk with him. In uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul is warning the the Thessalonians about the last days and recognizes that temptations will come and, and and, uh, and challenges them even in their current time to stand firm. And he says this in in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And we need this encouragement as well, to stand firm, to not lose hold of the teachings from Scripture, to not lose hold or not have our love for for Jesus grow dim, to not have our love for his word that points us to him grow dim. Because we are in the midst of difficult days. And generally, for, for the church here in Canada, it's becoming more and more difficult to live for Christ and to have joy in him when the world around us is less and less interested in Jesus and, in fact, more and more opposed to him. There's a cost to follow Jesus, to live your life in worship of him, a cost to seek him out joyfully, every day and even personally in our lives when trials come when busyness comes when distractions come it's not always easy to find joy in Jesus it can be tempting to have joy in other things to have more excitement in other people and other circumstances and even though we have been saved and lives transformed we can start to slide back into thinking that The things of the world are more important, more worth pursuing. And that walking in obedience to Jesus and in joy of him is not actually what what we want. 
But in our story and in the sequence of events, we see the opposite is true for the wise men. After the chief priests and the scribes tell Herod that this king of the Jews was to be born in Bethlehem, Herod sends the wise men to Bethlehem. He lies to them saying that he wanted them to go find this king and report back to him so that he could go and worship this king too. When in fact we know that he wanted to kill this king to eliminate this threat to his throne. He sends them off and then we read this in verses 9 and 10. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So this star that the wise men had seen before now went before them in a way that could have only been brought about by the all-powerful God of the universe and led them to the house that housed this king of the Jews. And I love the description that we see there of when the wise men saw this star go before them. It says that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They hadn't even seen the king in person yet. They hadn't even seen Jesus in person yet. And when they, yet when they perceived that this star had moved in a supernatural way and was leading them, they knew that this was from God. And, that, and they were full of joy. They arrived at the house of Mary and Joseph, laid eyes on this young child, Jesus, this king of the Jews, these prominent kingmakers, full of wealth and power, fell down and worshipped. Right? We don't get the impression of them just gingerly making their way down. No, they, they fell down and worshipped. These kingmakers had come to give gifts and recognize the king who was to rule and save the world from sin. In our story, we have chief priests and scribes who were a part of God's chosen people. They had access to God's word. They had knowledge of the history of how God had worked in the past. And yet they were indifferent to the Savior, to the Messiah. But here we have pagans, people far from Israel, who were not indifferent. They sought out Jesus. They came to him and worshipped him. And let's let this, this story of these wise men and the example of their joy, their opposite of indifference, encourage us this morning. God moved and worked in their lives and they responded with joy. Just as the wise men gave gifts to Jesus, bowed down before him, worshipped him, not on the direct day of his birth, but afterwards, today and on the day after Christmas and tomorrow and the day after that, let us not be indifferent to Christ. Let us come humbly before him with a spirit of falling before him in worship. Let us seek him today and tomorrow and the day after that. Watch and pray that we don't fall into temptation to see Jesus as irrelevant to us today, to see other 
joys is more significant to us, to our lives? To have our joy in Christ diminished? And like how the wise men discovered the connection of, of the star to the truth found in God's word, let us seek out Jesus and love him and praise him as an act of obedience to God's word. To be disciplined in spending time with him daily, not only going through seasons of, of being disciplined and spending time with him, but as a, a daily quest. In our passage this morning, and in, in many different ways in the Christmas story, we see our great God who orchestrates world events, who commands the stars to move. In the book of Luke, we see God influencing the entire Roman Empire to bring about a census so that a virgin will make her way to Bethlehem in order to fulfill God's promise. In our passage this morning, we see our God who literally moves the stars to get this handful of foreigners to find the Savior and worship him. How great and powerful is our God. Like the wise men who are not from God's chosen people, all the nations have an opportunity to come before Jesus and worship him. In fact, that's how God designed it. God wants all the nations to come before him, come before Jesus, to give our lives to him and have him transform us. The chief priests and the scribes, they knew about God in their heads, but not in their hearts. Instead of a a heart receptive to knowing the Savior, they did nothing, and their hearts were indifferent and, in fact, even hardened towards him. Thirty years later, we see that what was once indifference turned into hatred and opposition towards him. Ezekiel 11 19 tells us about God's saving power to change hardened hearts. We see this in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That can be our, our prayer for those we know that don't know Christ that he would remove hearts of stone, hearts of indifference towards Jesus, hearts of rejection towards him, and replace those with, with hearts of flesh, soft hearts, open to receiving Jesus and trusting in him. And for those who have been saved by grace, who have already come before this savior, this king, let us keep pursuing him with joy and worship. Let us not turn from this journey. Let us not allow things of the world to lead us to care about other things more than walking in joyful obedience to him. Like the wise men, let us seek out Jesus, worship him, and rejoice with great joy because of the saving power of Jesus the King. Let's pray. God, thank you for your great power, for your sovereignty, for how you have worked throughout history that you orchestrated world events, 
and continue to do so? That you move the stars in order to bring about your saving plan to send your son, Jesus, the king? Thank you, Jesus, that you are the king, the Messiah, the prince of peace, that you will rule on the throne of David in righteousness forever. Help us to seek you out, Jesus, to humbly come before you, trust in you for salvation, and to worship you, to love you even when things of the world want to overwhelm us or distract us or entice us to love them more than you. Help us to rejoice exceedingly with great joy at who you are and to seek you out today and tomorrow and throughout the rest of our lives. Amen.